0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Performance Talks. In episode 12, we're joined by Rudy Thomas. Rudy is a West Coast Territory Manager for Play, a U.S. company focused on innovating high-performance solutions for customers all over the world. The three of us met in China in 2018 when Rudy was leading a team of coaches recruited by Play, and he became an integral part of our Team China project. This episode is so much great content, including Rudy explaining what a Territory Manager actually does, how his journey in strength and conditioning has taken him all over the U.S., and what he learned working in China. To keep up to date with all of our episodes, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And now, over to Rudy.
1: Rudy Thomas currently work for Play. Um, I think we're going to get into what play does now, but basically I uh, currently do, you know, a lot of consulting and liaison type of work with play, um, helping coaches to find solutions. And we'll get into that more of that later, but my background is in strength and conditioning from a, mostly a collegiate standpoint. Um, I started, I thought that was all I ever wanted to do. And now, you know, obviously not doing that now, but being able to stay really closely related, which is nice and make a heck of a lot more money. Um, but yeah, I started off uh, just only wanting to be a college strength coach, and so came out and did the requisite internships. I was at Stanford, um, South Florida, Ohio State. You have to do a lot of that stuff in the states to, in order to get a job. And then, so um, yeah, first job was was Stanford. Um, did uh, graduate work at Boise State. Um, then I actually got one of my best, better jobs was at a was at a high school. And these high schools nowadays are like the jobs to have, right? Very little stress. Uh, longevity, you have a lot of that um, low pressure. But I had it at one of those college prep academies in Ohio that was basically like a K through 12 of like really smart kids, and so it was great, really easy, you know, getting getting the you know the coaching aspect across. And so from there, I ended up getting a job at University of Iowa, which kind of took me back home because I grew up in the state of Iowa. Um, and I was there for only like seven or eight months, and then I got an offer to uh, work basketball at Marquette University, which is in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and in the the Big East Conference. So that was a big step up, and that was good. That was a great experience. That would kind of threw me into the into the fray of like bigger time um, basketball, at least. And I was always more of the Olympic sports side. So in the states, it's like you go football or you go olympic sports which is basketball and then everything else so i kind of went basketball and everything else because it's it can be a little better lifestyle um and so anyways at marquette i was there for three years and then i got a job uh, offer out here in san diego and so to be the head um head strength coach out here in san diego and so I i took that um had that for three years and then got the uh had the ability to kind of go into private business. I uh, got an offer for some people from the Disney corporation to open a, a line of studios and leverage my, you know, leverage my expertise in group training, basically training teams to help make this, that particular project work. And so I I was an investor in that, gave that a, I don't know what I was thinking, honestly, gave that a crack for three years or so, um, then sold out of that. And in that time I did a lot of things, you know, like I was, helping that project. I was teaching. I kind of got into, into some teaching at the university level. Um, I was fitness modeling. <laughs> I was writing up articles from blogs. I was doing all sorts, just anything kind of just, yeah, I was living my life in San Diego. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I was doing, by the time it came around that I, that, that one of my mentors, Ron McKeefree, uh, had contacted me about coming to China um, and working kind of getting back in the fold of play I was mostly surfing and playing volleyball and doing all sorts of whatever else. Honestly, that sounds like, like a dream. Like dream really doesn't yeah. it? Yeah <laughs> I, tra- I was traveling with my wife who wasn't my wife at that time but we were traveling and I was just dicking off in every way possible it was amazing. Now was, that, that brings us up to about that was from like 2002
2: all the way to 2017. <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I love it. Uh, there is no one like career path in this industry, but yours sounded like it was pretty much <laughs> like the normal American collegiate thing. And then you just had this massive, uh, completely off piece. <laughs> uh, it was, I did. I just went off the rails, but that's what
1: California did. I got out and I was like, fuck it. I, I like, I would come back to work after a weekend of completely like sandblasted and like, <laughs> 48 hours minimum of just completely checking out and I'd come back and I'm like, I wouldn't know what I was doing. And I was like, all right, I, I don't know how much I can continue to do this and still be authentic because like, I didn't want to come back to work on Monday. And not nothing that stuff I did later was any easier, you know, like it was harder in in a lot of ways and less rewarding, but I like, you know, I was trying to get rich. Right. So I could do more of the shit that I was doing on the weekends, you know, (laughs) when I was working in college, that was the ultimate plan. Right. Like I wanted to get, independently wealthy so i can do more of the shit that i like to do and you know make money passively of course it didn't work out that way it rarely does it but you know i was like there's just so much entrepreneurial out here there's just so much like, yeah. like people that like to have money and you don't know why and no one works and you're like i want to do that because i've been <laughs> yeah. grinding i've been grinding my way you know grinding my ass off you know through all my 20s you know and it's like people look at you and they don't they don't understand right And you're like trying to explain like I spent most of the best years in a freaking dungeon, you know, doing God knows what, coaching every single person, just eating donuts, drinking coffee, being unhealthy. Yes, like, what a life, what a <laughs> life. I know, like, but like, it was just amazing. You get out here and you're like, I feel amazing. I'm healthy. Everybody's healthy. Everybody's tall, fit, good looking, doing all these, you know, fun activities. And you're like, yeah, I'm on board with this.
2: Now I got to figure out how to do it yeah that's that oh. that's honestly that sounds absolutely awesome um there's there's a couple of things there i do <laughs> want to go back and ask we yeah. we do obviously always ask everyone about their mentors and you've already dropped a one bombshell of a name there ron mckeefer and we know wrong, guys yeah. we know yeah. you guys work together but like um is there anyone else there that you'd like to give a, a shout out to
1: um, well, I do, I do got to tell a little story. well. So like the, how I got to know, I don't know how I got to know Rob, but I remember he was wanting interns and this was like 2005 and I'm in, I believe I'm in Columbus, Ohio at that time. I'm living there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm working at this high school and I'm, and I'm also volunteering at Ohio State, which of course I'm from Iowa. So that right there, I was, I might as well have been, I was a turncoat in every possible manner. So I was conflicted internally to begin with, but I was still doing it. Cause you know, you do it whatever. And so I think I see somewhere online that he's wanting insurance, an and he's at South Florida at this time and, and much younger and, and, and as, as wound up as he is now back then, this is no work. <laughs> There's no work. So I get down there and I just reach out to him. He calls me, you know, crazy enough. He calls me or we, we call it, we, we get on the phone. And he's just like, side unseen. He's like, come on. I'm like, all right. So I had a friend that lived in, in Tampa, Tampa Bay. And so she's like, come on down. You can stay with me. I was like, cool. So I get down there, side unseen, start 5 a.m. every day for, I don't know for how long, but we had this like closet. There was like 19 interns, right? There's just, they had a million teams and there's this army of interns. And a lot of these guys went on and are in very impressive careers and we've remained friends, but we were stuffed into what was basically a broom closet. I mean, chemicals, cleaning chemicals. It was just in there, just a bunch of smelly dudes. I, mean, I don't even know if there was any females. Smelly, sweaty, tired dudes, sucking coffee, protein farts, the whole thing. It was bad. So that, like, the, if any downtime we had, we were in this little closet, you know, and it was just such a gnarly thing that, like, I don't know if anybody who was there at that time could ever forget that because it was just all day and night and this yelling crazy person who was actually... Super brilliant too, but like so much energy. And at the same time, like every moment you got free, he's pulling you in the office. All right. Like, we're just trying to like get through every day. And he's like, all right, well, you need to know what's coming next. What's, what's the next thing that's going to happen? Like, what, what are you, like, what are you going to do next year? The year after two years out, three, you know, making you think about like, what's the next project that needs to happen? What do you think that they want over there? What do you think that person's going to want from you? And I was just like, dude, I just i i don't i'm just trying to figure out the time to go poop like, <laughs> like
0: <laughs> rudy doesn't even know what day of the week it is right now and ron's trying to get him to do like a five-year plan oh yeah I mean, it
1: was like but it's it good at the time you don't realize he's pushing you but like it, it's still like, i don't even know how the brain works like that but his does yeah which is which is i guess you know that's why he's able that's to, awesome
2: yeah you you've you've already alluded to something there that i think is quite different from the setup that a lot of other countries have like you you know we talked a little bit before we started recording about the you know the various high school jobs and university jobs and like how many internships you actually had to do like this is something that's gradually creeping into like the uk system and we you know in my role at 40th we had interns coming in from university programs but like how big a deal is that like if you secure a really good internship in the states is that kind of what launches your career
1: it's the only thing that launches your career so i'll take you back to like i'm a senior 2001 in college and like at that time and before that all the internships were paid and they were paid very nicely. Oh wow! But but what happened was is everybody got wise, right? They realized all the all the businesses or the colleges, I guess you could call it, or even performance centers got wise, and they're like, they realized that you have to do an internship in the states in order to graduate. So they're like, why would we pay you when we know you have to do it as part of your graduation requirements? So about the time I was coming out of school, they stopped paying for internships because you you can't get a. a, a a bachelor's degree in an exercise and sports science program without doing a three month internship, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and passing it. So there was no reason to pay. So of course now, you know, at that time it was, it wasn't as competitive as it is now and there weren't that many people coming out now they're coming out in droves. Cause I mean, until you know what the job entails, you know, it looks like a cool job. Like you're coming out and it is a cool job. I shouldn't say it's not, but you're, you know, you're going to work in sweatpants every day and you're, you're around young energetic. So is everyone
2: people. these days.
1: <laughs> well, right, exactly. It's not, it's not commonplace, But I mean, it's like, Hey, I get to go to a, I get to go to work in a weight room. I get to do a job that, you know, teaching an activity that I do, as something that gives me, you know, pleasure that I just enjoy doing as an activity, which is, you know, lifting weights or, or sprinting or whatever, or just working out in general. And so, you know, and I get to get paid for it, sometimes better than others, you know, sometimes more, sometimes less, but it, it, you know, it was just catching on at that time. Right. And so now people are coming out hand over fist and there's not nearly the jobs to meet the demand, but back then it was even, or, or maybe there was more jobs than, than demand, but, they stopped paying. So my first internship um, was unpaid, and um, and I think you know there are, are no internships paid now. But it, but it, to answer your question, I mean it's it's the only way you can get a college degree first and foremost, and secondly, what job you get is all about what path you take, and more importantly, to get more granular, is what people you meet. That's the only way yeah. to get a job in this I, country. Yeah, yeah I was so, ask, so often true.
0: Do you think it's more important of which school you do the internship in or which coach you do the internship with?
1: Uh, It's, I mean, there's a little bit of both, but I would say, you know, if the school, I I would almost say the person, because in the end, like everybody's going to have some sort of logo on their back, right? Or a logo on their Mm -hmm. resume, but it's having that person who knows the person, who's more influential or knows more people who carries more weight. So, I mean, that's why like me meeting coach McKeefrey was just so, was so impactful because I mean, really like I had had another great mentor. His name was John Murray. And that guy probably taught me more about strength and conditioning, the really nuances and a, the technical aspect than anybody else has. But like coach McKeefrey then taught me more about the entrepreneurial and the managerial and the, and the mental side of it. Than almost anything, and, and that's gotten more important as we've gone. Back then, in two thousand one, two thousand two, early two thousands, the technical aspect was more important because it was changing so much, and we were still figuring out what was works and what doesn't. Now, twenty years later, you know, like people pretty much know what what works and what doesn't, and you know, there's still a shitload of ways to do things, but like arguing over periodization something that doesn't really happen anymore, right? You, I think we've come full circle that, well, like, you can argue about it, but everybody knows that, like, the simplest shit works the best. So I think we finally come to the realization that athletes of all types, pro and college, are still really low in their training age, and, like, goblet squats work for everybody. End of story.
2: Yeah. You know? like <laughs> Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting that you've, you've mentioned the kind mm-hmm. of entrep- entrepreneurial – sort of mentality and the business uh, skills a couple of times now, once from like, you know, that idea of, you know, moving to to California and kind of opening your eyes on it, but then also through the internship. And that's something I think is only really coming into the industry in other countries, like in, in Europe, that's a very new kind of concept. The idea that actually everyone either needs to at the very least have a side hustle that's their own or they need to go out and set up their own performance centers or, or their own training gyms. What's that like in the, in the U S because there is a greater degree of like private training centers and, and private businesses. Is that something that's taught in universities like the business skills? Um, Cause Steve obviously is now teaching in a university and that's something that I think has been lacking in, the kind of uk education because a lot of people try and think about oh i do this because i love the i love it right and i do it for the passion and ultimately that that's wonderful but we can't live on you know air and passion we have to actually have something to sustain us as well and i think that's a missing piece that a lot of people have kind of denied over the years but is that taught in the u.s
1: no not to Not to my knowledge. And and personally, I would do the education different. I mean, all the stuff that they teach, none of that's going to help you. None of that's going to help you get a job. I mean, ultimately, like anybody can say that they know, you know, the, the physiology of the body and they know, you know, the X's and the O's, but everybody can argue that there's, you can make anything you, you can, you can support any argument with research about what, but that doesn't get you. I mean, that doesn't get you crap here. Anyways, they they don't teach anything about business acumen or how to make money passively or about, you know, the internet or about Instagram or about how to make social media, how to make social media work for you or anything about opening a business, anything about opening a business, even things like, you know, certain ways of communicating, um, you you know, networking is sort of becoming a thing of the past, but like that networking and no, to answer your question. No, I, I, if if I was going to create the perfect college or like institutional strength coach, no, this is not performance center, you know, or like business owner strength coach, but I would, I mean, I would spend a year in university setting learning, you know, the like three semesters, like fall, winter, or spring and summer learning the the scientific foundations, right? Maybe maybe two years or a year and a half. And then the remainder three and a half years, if you're going five, every semester you're in someone else's weight room because number one, you're meeting people. But number two, you're learning how they approach training. And, and then you get everything that they learn, like all their years of experience on how, because you know, if there's 12 different coaches, there's going to be 12 different ways to write a program. And I'm talking all the way down to the, how they set up an Excel spreadsheet or, or their workout cards all the way up to the people that they've mentored with or the people that they know. And then you get to see how they run a room and you're even in, I mean, down to something as little or as big as a different weight room, how it's set up and what pieces of equipment are in there. I mean, you get to learn all of it. And that's the stuff that when you walk in to get your job and you're talking with Ron Keefrey and you've had all those experiences, you suddenly are now an asset for them. Because when someone's hiring you, All they're doing is hiring you so that there's less freaking work for them. And really, it's about can you, can I trust you and will you cover my ass? I mean, that's really what it's about because they could, there's a million people who they could hire, right? It's like, does somebody vouch for this guy or girl? Are they gonna make my life easier? Do they fill a void? Do they do something that I don't do well? End of story, you know?
2: Yeah, for sure. It's it's so interesting you say that as well, because there's so many, I, I've done so much hiring now. And a lot of the time, you know, people in our industry get so focused on continually doing more and more education. You're like, well, I already see you have, you already tick all the boxes on the education front. That's why I'm talking to you in the first place. That's why we're having an interview. The interview is to find out so much more about you and to, to sort of see so much more about you. Um the the education is just the sort of prerequisite to even get the conversation. Um, If
0: you, if you have a master's degree in strength and conditioning, what additional education are you going to learn from three or four weekend courses? But if you spend three or four weekends going and visiting other coaches, it's, it's a marked difference, isn't it? We've actually, we, we do teach a module at the uni called creative business enterprise, which is, it's basically that it's like, how are you going to utilize these sets, these skill sets, you know, in a business way, it's an optional module. Um, and I think it's great that, but, but that's in response to the way that the landscape has changed. Right. We didn't have anything like that when I did my degrees.
1: Yeah. If you're a private, if you're in the private sector. Yeah. Like that should be a lot of all your education, because there's so many places that are uberly successful and you'd walk in and look at the training and the shit that they're doing. And you would just, You'd, you'd vomit in your mouth a little bit, have to turn around, walk out, gather yourself and come back in. But the business, the, how they do the business, like uh, like from how they bill to how they set up the classes, what classes they offer, how they leverage their social media, their email outreach, their marketing. If you're in private business, knowing those things, how to set up your business, is it an S-Corp? What's the best for taxes? You know, where, where to put the business? Holy shit, like what to put inside of it. What's gonna get the most use? Like fucking nobody's gonna teach you that shit. Yeah. You know?
2: yeah, I I really think that's something that's been, um, like I said, completely lacking in um, in a lot of places, and it's something that's really sort of only really starting to happen, I think, in the in the UK and Europe, is more people actually setting up. Their own performance centers and things. Sort of. I've I've lived over here for ten years now and definitely seen that within North America there's a lot more private centers. There's a lot more privatization of the um, performance generally. Um, also helps that you know some of your uh, like the pro leagues. The athletes are actually not even allowed to enter the team facilities when they're sort of in between seasons. And they have to go and train somewhere else. So they all have, you know, they go to their private training center and stuff. So you have certain differences there. But I think the, the, the industry as a whole is so much more mature in the US than it is in other in other countries. Um, That's only because it's so competitive. So the competition <laughs> is what has bred the maturity. True, yeah because there's
1: so many there's so many people wanting to do it, but that, you know, getting back to Ron real quickly, that's what's made him so valuable for institutionalized strength coaches like your college and high school. Cause he's the guy who was telling everybody, you need to build your brand. Like you need to figure out how to write a book. You need to build your brand so that you're indispensable. Even if you get dispensed, you have built a brand and a way to leverage who you are or, or your assets intellectually or whatever into a way to make money and to be credible and to have an impact, even if you get dispensed of. And ultimately, <laughs> if you've done all those other things, like he's saying, built that brand and your credibility, and all that, then you're just gonna walk into another job. You know, yeah. so, you know, cause he'll, you know, he tells you everybody gets fired. Okay, well, great, but can you get rehired again? And, you know, he's obviously been able to do that, but again, he's, he's been able to write books and, and his, you know, his, his through his brand awareness and his brand is him, is so well known that, you know, that, that just opens doors that you don't even know exist. Right. And that's the thing is what he's trying to tell people is, is create doors and windows for you to walk through, especially if you're an institutionalized strength coach, because that's, you know, that's harder because you're in this bubble, right. And you don't get to be with around a lot of people. You're around your college athletes and that's it. And you're in your, you know, and if something happens to your boss, or if you are the boss and something happens to the coach you work for, well, then what? and so he's gotten people to prepare for the then what
2: yeah that's i think that's such a key thing like we've we've talked to a lot of people about that how our industry is very fragile it doesn't matter what cup what jurisdiction you're in and what the employment laws are in sport you can be fired right you can lose your you can lose your job (laughs) overnight notice no nothing wrong you don't get a payout right yeah it's like See you later. So Thanks. that that idea of oh, being yeah. able to look after yourself, and I think it's something that a lot of people are doing now. Is even if they're in a role, they are you know starting a little side hustle, or they're you know they're very conscious of their sort of social media platforms and things. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to ask a little bit about you know what it's like now. Obviously, you've you've moved sort of a little bit away from directly coaching into more of a managerial position with one of these. You know, one of the biggest private companies, one of the most rec- recognizable names. Um, you know, how has the company dealt with the, you know, the sort of the last year, the pandemic? Have you guys had to shift your um like your your business model at all? Have you, you know, what's what's that been like?
1: Actually, well, I mean, business speaking, we actually had a, a, a really good year, despite everything, you know, sometimes it's, you don't like to say that, but like, we had a pretty good year. And I think that was based on the work that was put into 2019. So I guess this year, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But from a business model and wh- how we do business, we like to get out and, and and go and see coaches. And that's part of the, what was the draw for me, right, is, you know you get to you get to work with one of the most reputable companies in the industry, right? Somebody who obviously it's a it's a sales job, right? And it's a company who sells a product. But play's been able to position itself as a as a resource and a solutions guide for the strength and conditioning industry, you know, even the performance training industry and 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 just across that whole board, even, even campus recreation as a solutions guide and a, a solutions-oriented type of company. So it's been nice from that regard because I get to stay involved, right? I get to go in and consult and liaison and help coaches build out the spaces. Um, most of that is done in person, right? We've just done it more like everyone else on Zoom or like we are now or Google Meetup or you know, whatever you know yeah. other platform.
2: Have you, have you seen a lot of people... Um, using the year to kind of take stock and plan ahead for what they're going to do afterwards so like is that why you think you've had quite a good a successful year because actually a lot of people have gone oh well actually no one's in the gym at the moment this is a perfect time to you know to remodel it
1: 100 it's exactly that's exactly what happened i think they call it a capital capital fund or yeah, there's was, there was a name a name for it, but yeah, I think it's like capital funds or something like, or capital improvement funds is what it's called. And so, yes, that's exactly right. Whether it's been academic institutions or even some of the you know the per- private performance facilities or, or campus recreation facilities that were closed. Um, yes, they're like, okay, well, we're never gonna have, hopefully we never have a time again when no one can come in here. So assuming you can actually get onto the campus, which has been another story in California <laughs> altogether, um, Assuming you know anybody's ever allowed on the campus, yes, it's the perfect time. If there's a, if there's money available, they've been doing that. Which again, I think that's why we were able to have a fairly successful year in 2020. Again, from the relationships and the work we had done in 2019, and then you know, COVID struck, and then there was like, okay, well, we need to do something, and it makes perfect sense. Like, how are you going to have students come back after a year away, or you know, two months away, or six months away? and have just be dusting off the cobwebs of you know and having not done you know pulling off all the white sheets cover and everything and having not done anything. So I got to give it to the, the 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 directors at all these places and the head coaches for thinking okay well you know we we want to provide value and we want to you know think ahead of the future and so how do we leave a legacy how do we make this place better than it was before and so that's exactly what they've been doing. They've just going in and saying okay well let's let's take whatever resources we have and get this done while we can.
2: Nice. Yeah, that's a, uh, I mean, great for you guys and obviously good sort of positioning to, to sort of get yourself in, um, to be the people that were called for all of that. Um, obviously, another part of your, your business, though, is the education piece. And I know that's something you've built some really interesting partnerships around around the world on that. How has that side of the business kind of fared over the last year?
1: Well, we've actually done a bit of a. So we had a we had a platform. Well, we have a platform called uh, Play Perform that was basically the the performance and education um, arm of Play, and then that and that's where I originally came in, um, and actually how I ended up in China um, to meet to meet you guys. But then that sort of then evolved into what we call Play Pro. It was more of an app-based system where all those you know, all that educational content that we did have on there, um, play labs from like Lothborough mm-hmm. university. And, uh, what was, where did you go, Simon? You said you went to, um,
2: uh, I did my masters through Satanta College. Yeah, Satanta, in, in that's, Ireland. That's, who I know, Ron's uh, done a few workshops out there as well. Yeah, we did some play labs there as well. Yeah, so,
1: so all of that type of content, and we had you know, probably six different, you know, little, you know, video series, you know, from visual podcast and whatnot was on there, and that kind of landed on this app-based system, and then. Um, you know, Ron had moved back into college strength and conditioning, and we had a gentleman who came in um, who was in college strength and conditioning and then came into play, and he took that over. His name is Mike Buley. He was at Clemson University prior. And then he kind of envisioned the next evolution where, you know, it's, it, it's called Play Academy. And now it's sort of like the intersection of all of the educational content where you normally find on an app, and now we're integrating universities into it. We're even integrating um, education within our own company onto it. We're having um, mentorships. We had one that was 10 weeks long, I believe, where we had 300 high school coaches who, who paid a certain you, know, uh, you know, d- uh, dues amount to come in, and um, it wasn't inexpensive either. And so they used, uh, we, we hired three or four coaches from around the country, plus Gary Schofield, who kind of heads our high school division, who was a high school strength coach for 20 years. And they basically did a mentorship for these high school, like 300 plus high school strength and conditioning coaches. And they had basically, had, you know, it was, it was almost like an internship, visual internship, big modules and, and whatnot, but um, that's kind of what it's evolved into. And, and, and it's not an app anymore. It's all, you know, just web-based and um, it's, it now serves as a, as a landing spot. And it's, and that, it even's kind of cool. It's got a social media piece to it. So it's, they wanted to provide a, a place to connect with coaches. Let's say you know to connect with you in Canada or Steve you in UK. Th- that's a landing spot where like we can connect. We can watch the same presentations. We can communicate about that presentation, but then we can communicate about anything else. And there's job boards on it, uh, on on it as well. So we wanted it to, to be that all-encompassing, like where we where all walks of coaching life can meet, get some continuing ed or just something, watch something you're interested in. And then also communicate with others, connect with others. Ultimately. So it's a place where like, if I want a job in the, you know, Australia, I find an Australian coach on there. I, I form a relationship. So on and so forth.
0: Yeah. It's it's a, that's a massive part that, you know, a lot of, a lot of education programs don't give you, right. It's, it's that it's not education, but learning how to network and networking and, Having access to those coaches is a huge part of, of what we do and how we get jobs. Yeah, just just and
1: you can you know you can pick somebody's brain, right? Because like I learned there's a there's a there's definitely things that that strength coaches in England do better than we do, and in, in Australia, everybody's got their own kind of lineage of how they learn to do it, and a lot of it is worth stealing.
0: You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. I, I I often say that I, I and I, and that's the same thing for me, like. We, you know, I, I work with with so many UK and and when we were in China, it was so cool because we hired people from all over the world. I think we had like forty different countries represented, and you see these patterns emerging, and I'm and I'll always say this: like if you have a group of forty or fifty athletes in a in a gym, and you want those guys under control and lifting well, put a US strength coach in front of them because those guys <laughs> control a room like no one I've ever seen. Yeah. They walk in. Chest stop, just like let's go. And it and it's a thing to behold, to watch, especially like the Europeans. We all kind of like go in, we're kind of quiet, and we're like, Oh, excuse me, would you, would you like this? <laughs> and the it's US so funny. is like,
2: right, get this, do this, and it's like, oh shit, like, oh my god. <laughs> it's it's so funny. My first, my first two, even three years working at Twist every time i had a review it was always like you're not loud enough you're not loud enough you need to command the room and eventually i got it and it cracked and it was like it's like that feeling when you strike a golf ball perfectly i remember having a session once and i was just like wow like that was such a different feeling of how everyone kind of reacted how i managed the space and it was just something like something clicked, and I was like, right now I get what everyone was talking about before. It's a it's a skill that just isn't really taught in a, in a lot of um, you know European environments. And, and part of that is the environment, right? When you've uh, got yeah. a really big gym and you've got like one one athlete to a rack, it's a very different setup to a lot of the gyms that you go into in Europe, where you've got like you've got ten guys sharing two racks and then everyone else is sort of spread out doing different things it's a very different kind of environment but yeah it's just it's a huge skill and it
1: circles back to the, to the whole process that i was explaining before um even through the internship process but like the, you consider the teams that we're dealing with right it's the smallest teams are a basketball team that's 15 people right baseball teams have 25 or 30 and then football teams For most of us our internships we're interning where we're working with football american football programs you're talking 100 guys and then you you, so you take that along with how competitive the process is and you're competing against a bunch of other dudes i mean that it's it's literally like hunger games and that's how we we that's how we come up and learn through that process is it's full-on hunger games strength coach style and that's really what it is i mean it's it's like it's, it's like a survival of the fittest type of deal. And so you have to stand out and obviously your intellect has to, has to come through at some point in time, but if you don't have those, uh, those skills that you're talking about, you don't even make it to the, hey, can you even talk to anybody part of it? You know, <laughs> like-
0: <laughs> We, we yeah. talk about it so much on, on here, but it's that need of like getting experiences in different environments is 100% in my, in my opinion, what you need to be successful, well-rounded, employable re-employable like that's it you, you can't just go to school you know do an internship at that same school then go and work in that same city in the gym that you know like you've got to get out and, and see different places different cities different countries oh and a hundred percent you'll grow as a coach and like you said i would never have made that distinguish that's not, that's not the word I want to use, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I would never have distinguished between U.S. coaches and U.K. coaches like that had I not been in a room with like 50 U.S. strength coaches and been like, oh, that's how they coach. It's yeah. completely different to the way that we coach.
1: It was funny, too, because you remember Roberto, right? And obviously Ben. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: So yeah.
1: we, you know, we obviously... We, we didn't get off at first and then we became really great friends, but we used to bust each other's balls because once we became really good friends, we're like, they would say the exact same thing you said. They're like, how do you guys do that? But they would in, they would conversely bust our balls for being such idiots on the computer. You know, like if we, <laughs> and we would just be like, I have no idea what you're doing in Excel right now, but I can only, I'm going to label it wizardry and it, <laughs> please don't make me disappear into the computer at some point in time. like, <laughs> You know, so we would just you know, we would have fun with them because they're like, "I don't know even know what you're talking about right now, data wise, but here let me show you what we'll do out here on the floor, and they're just like, yeah, yeah. i don't, I don't know what you're talking about, but let me just show you why what you're doing makes sense, and so it it works right and so yeah. we were we were hungry to learn that, and they were they were they were learning from us, and it was um
0: listen, you shouldn't put yourself down, Rudy, because we spent a lot of time working on excel, and man we we had some pretty good dashboards at the end of that.
2: Oh my god. Entirely fueled oh. by donuts. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that's yeah. it's such an in-joke that that we I feel like we have to explain it a little bit at least. But we were at the Asian Games in Palembang. <laughs> there was a typical China situation where they didn't have enough what, what are those passes called, Simon? I, I forget the like accreditation passes, yeah. that's it. They didn't have enough accreditation passes for how many staff. So you and I ended up sitting in a Dunkin' Donuts doing most of the days yeah. most of the days making dashboards for for our performance reports and and all of our reports ended up with these these wheels on these circles of like how (laughs) you know and then we're like looking at a donut and and looking at the circle it's like I feel like we've had too many donuts (laughs) it
1: was like art imitates life life imitates art like we need something to reflect what's happening
0: and I feel like we should do something circular. Wait,
1: did the donuts yeah. just
0: inspire that? Yeah. that let's, let's make sure it's got a hole in the middle and then <laughs> we're perfect. It was just like, oh, unreal. Oh um, my God. One thing I wanted to touch on it and you said it there a little bit about, obviously you've done work with Loughborough, you've done work with Satanta. So what is Play's kind of global reach or European reach, you know, What's that looking like?
1: We actually have, it would be nice if you guys were able to connect, um, but we have, I think we have two or, maybe it's a three person team. Um, we have an office in um, in England. I don't know if it's on the Loughborough campus or near Loughborough. I'm actually not, really sure where it's at I'm gonna be okay. completely honest with you but we have an office in we have an office in the UK we're a pretty small country to be fair yeah that's what I'm sort of embarrassed I'm like it's like I could probably drive to any one part right real quick yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. um it's like the size of California uh, yeah um <laughs> probably smaller than California <laughs> yeah likely like, yeah, yeah yeah so yes yeah, so I think we have a three-person team who's who who lives and works out of the office in in England and then there's a an office in Sydney Australia okay. as well. And that's really the bigger, they, they kind of are, are the hub mm-hmm. of everything that isn't that we would call international. So like the director of everything that isn't in the United States. Um, <clears throat> he's a guy named Shane, really cool guy. He lives, and he's got a whole team like starting to be very similar to the home office, obviously not as big and not as many people, but you know, they've got a person who does estimating and billing and they've got accountants and they've got a sales team and they've got, you know, They've they've got a regular staff that works out of the head, and they've got a headquarters actual building building in mm-hmm. Australia so that's basically that's the reach so you know obviously Europe's been harder to penetrate we still do business there Australia's big because you know like strength the addition in Australia mm-hmm. it mimics the United States in a way um, maybe not from approach necessarily because they have some different sports but from a how robust it is and how important it is to their their whole industry. So do a lot of business there. And I think we're starting to do more in, in, in Asia. Um, we do business in Canada. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, wherever they're doing projects like that and and the barriers aren't too great, I think we're able to, you know, reach, yeah. reach those. Obviously, f- freight is, is the biggest thing. But we, we have a guy leaving when's he leaving? June to do a job in Japan to do a, to install. So like we've done, nice. you know, working or you know, doing work in, in Japan. So the, the logistics part of it aren't really that difficult. It's the cost prohibitiveness. Is that a word? Mm-hmm. Prohibitiveness mm-hmm. of, uh, we're,
0: we're making up words all over the place. I here don't know, yeah. I'm just going
1: um, to be a wordsmith. Yeah. But I think yeah. it's getting, getting the shit, getting the shit there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I um. Again, I really like love kind of digging into this because obviously a lot of the people we've spoken to have been in you know different different backgrounds, um, and we're trying to get this over you know sort of big overall of what the you know different experiences within the industry. Um, speaking kind of on behalf of you know a private business, what's the what's the goal when you're expanding into a new territory? Is that where you take the kind of education first to try and build a bit of a brand name, and then the goal is to try and then be able to fit out centers, or is it, you know, is education a, a product that you're trying to sell afterwards? Is that is that kind of how you approach things?
1: Yeah, we don't really sell the education part. The education part is more of a value add, right? That's just a, okay. it's like a value add. It's a, it's like a give back. So the education arm has always been. Kind of marketing in a way, but it's been uh, it's more been more of a value add proposition and a way to to give back to the industry that we're obviously doing business with, right? On a on a selling product and services uh, basis, so we want to be you know more of a resource. So that that's that's where the education. So for me personally, when when I'm doing that or when we're doing that, I think we always want to be uh, authentic relationship, right? We always want to go in there and somehow build a, an authentic. You know, friendship, relationship, um, whatever you want to call it, with the with the coach or the head of the facility. And just and again, going back to add value, being a resource, being a being some uh, being a person who is a solution provider. I think that that's down to the core of what play is, is is providing high performance solutions. Um, I mean, it's the mission statement. We exist to provide high-performance solutions for customers who refuse second like best, you know, for those who refuse second like best. So that's kind of like the, at the at the crux of it. It's how are, can we be a resource and add value for somebody who has a problem that they need to solve, essentially. Nice. And we're able to do that from a, from a surfacing standpoint and now to an equipment standpoint. I mean, it, it spans the gambit from not just equipment and surfacing, but like if you were Internationally, for example, if you're on the second or third or fourth floor of a building and you have offices next to wherever you train at, we can, you know, we have products now that can silence the sound, you know. And can you come over to
0: my university then? Because our gym is on the third floor. We have this is this is unreal how this has been designed. So the gym's on the third floor of a three floor building. Um. Anytime you drop away, I had, I had one student in there just on his own, just doing some, some cleans, like 60 kg cleans. And I had lecturers coming up from downstairs. Like you have to stop that. Like we can't, we can't do our lecture. We apparently have a floating floor in the, Mm. in the gym. No idea why this wasn't put on the the ground floor, but the best thing is, so we have the Commonwealth games uh, happening in Birmingham in 400 and something days time we have team scotland coming to train out of our gym wow. i'm like if if the noise of one guy doing a 60 kilo clean <laughs> is, is too much when we get like oh, these absolute units in here and we have i think we have like eight racks so i'm like we're gonna we're gonna make some noise well i mean after the
1: call i can definitely pass you through to the to nitan and the guys we have over there but i mean it's not, I won't say it's, it's it's inexpensive. It's not inexpensive, I'll put it that way, but it's yeah. it's completely doable. But I mean, honestly, like the, the the coolest stuff we're doing and to circle back to something you had said earlier, Simon, about like innovations during COVID is the outdoor stuff that we're doing. Now we, we, we do a lot of stuff with the military and you'll see it on like my social media and play social media, some of the, the military solutions. But I mean, the outdoor stuff that we're doing now, and we have a partnership with this company called Beaver Fit, which is kind of a funny name, but um, they, they provide... <laughs>
2: Please, you know, they're not Canadian, are they?
1: <laughs> uh, no, no, they're not. They're a US-based company, but they they provide a lot of the outdoor or most of the outdoor to the military structures, like performance lockers and these big, beautiful structures. Well, so we kind of started our own line of, of um, outdoor structures. They basically look like adult, you know, playgrounds and I'll share some after the call with like what we're doing a lot of these are going on campus racks you know where they're, where they're yeah. creating like an outdoor eco fitness environment you know but things have moved outdoors right so yeah. whether it's in conjunction with beaver fit or it's our own turf solutions for outside or our own disco you know we have a, just we call it yeah. discover series it's you know these these fit out these fit structures these outdoor structure performance structures there's so many now. There's so many solutions that honestly, imagination and budget is the only limiting factors because everything, everything can be provided to give you something that you can do to have a class or to have a team or just a whatever out, outside. And that's really been one of the major um, steps forward.
2: Um, yeah, that's really in, that's in, really cool because I know I've year, but... I, I've been doing a lot of my training outside, and the three rubber bands that I've got are, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm get, let's just say I'm getting pretty bored of using them. <laughs> um That's awesome. Oh, yes. and so yeah, I, I, my garage
1: has been uh, it
2: has been. Yeah, as you say, a lot of people have shifted their workouts to so their sort of creating a little gym in their in their garage or or whatnot. Um, I just wanted to ask, like, given, given the nature of the business and kind of what you guys provide, what was the, the motivation behind getting involved in, in China? Obviously with that, that's where we met and, you know, you, you guys were, were quite, um, you know, you had a big presence in terms of, mm-hmm. of people when you came out there, but what, what was the motivation behind it? And then also what kind of lessons did you learn from that experience that you've taken on to other international projects or other projects that you've worked on?
1: You know, I think, I think initially the motivation was obviously, well, money, you know, obviously we were being paid for it, you know, and um, and the company as well as the coaches, obviously, um, you know, it was, it was part of a business decision, but secondly, I think um, it was, to bring more people into the play fold, especially more coaches. So you had mentioned earlier before the call, I think it was, we were talking about some of the reasonings behind that. I think it was a branding issue in terms of in just increasing the play reach and the awareness of the brand. And thirdly, I would say was pro, to provide jobs because I think, you know, ultimately we knew that these coaches would go on to do other things. Right. And so it's all about reputation and, and, brand value, right? So we always want to provide an outstanding experience because, you know, the coaches that experience play, then they go on to other jobs and then they go on to other jobs, right? So it's this, this multi-level sort of thing that happens. So we never want to have a bad experience. So again, that's why it was so important. You know, we wanted those coaches to have a great experience with play to get a job, that first job to kind of get them jump-started in their career and provide them an awesome lifetime experience and then once they moved on again, then they would have this favorable feeling about play. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was there was multiple there was multiple reasons um, yep. for that. That's a, I mean, just, I, I just want to, to touch
0: on something, um, and and uh, yeah,
2: Go ahead, we Simon. have a bit of a delay creeping in here. Um, I, I was going to say, I think that's a pretty unique. Yeah, um, Simon, yeah, you're, you're delayed just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I was I was I wanted to just touch on something actually practically on that and and you know most of the guests that we get on we we talk a lot about China because we all came to to pass in China and and I remember the first day that the three of us met in China and and we ended up having some pretty good capers as we, as we went through it was awesome but um I know I mean, I know that you and the team that you brought in originally had some pretty interesting challenges, not least of all that you started in Wuhan. So, so like, you were there prior to the apocalypse. but A city no one had heard of at the you time. You showed me some videos. Yeah, absolutely. Like, nobody knew anything about it. But I remember, like, sitting with you and you showed me you know, some photos and some videos of the training center and, and the accommodation and stuff like that. Um, now you've had a fair bit of time to digest and, and relax <laughs> a little bit on that. I'm interested to, to hear your reflections, mainly because I guess people would think when they hear sort of the things like, Oh, I'm going to go and work for the Chinese Olympic committee that they are working in, in these unbelievable training centers. And that's not always the case. So now you've had a bit of breathing room. What, what are your reflections on that, on those early times there in China?
1: God, I mean, I, sadly enough, it's almost like a dream at this point, you know, like parts of it are almost <clears throat> like, I remember a lot of it, but you know, it's, it's been in the past now a couple of few years. And so it's starting to fade a bit and, I think, you know, I think a lot of people capitalized on that, right? They, they made a name for it. And I honestly didn't do a good enough job capitalizing or really hammering home on what actually went down and what happened over a year's time, which I mean, for most people, you don't even get past, Hey, I went to live in China and their minds blown, but you know, that's just the start, right? Like, you know, it well, that's just the start is, um, is just the fact that you got on a plane to go to China and once you were there, the things that come to pass and the things that you deal with on a daily basis, as you guys know, well, well, that's a whole nother story altogether and the things that you're able to do and see and the people that you meet. So, I mean, you know, we, we were fairly, I think we were a little bit prepared because I think Ron had taken great steps to be like, okay, listen, like, you got to be open-minded. This is going to be an adventure. I think he had been there once before to meet with Dr. Uh, or Peter or something like that. So um, I think he had been there. So he was trying to like prep us. And, but again, like there was so much unknown. Like all you knew was China, right? None of us had ever been there. Obviously didn't speak the language. Didn't know anybody there. And so you just knew you were going. And of course, I think we did have this like idea in our head, but you know, you go. And actually it wasn't Wuhan the first place. It was Guiyang the first place that we went at the at, uh, lake, um, yeah, I'm trying to remember what lake it was at, but yeah, we were in young to start with and I think we actually had it better. I mean, I heard some stories. Like, I think we actually were, were middle to upper pack in terms of experiences that, that a lot of people may have had. Like we were at least with a rowing team and while that might've been stressful, they were like the darling at that time, which you guys yeah. know. So we were getting, you know, some some better accommodations-ish, and we were getting, you know, some more attention, which was good and bad, and we were getting a little bit more deference, and so I think to to that degree, it it made it, but we didn't have anything else to compare it to either, right? It was all of our first, Mm -hmm. our main voyages, so, you know, at that time, we had nothing to compare it to. Now, later on, obviously, having time to reflect, we know we had it worse and better than some others, and, and you know, we didn't know anything about Guiyang. We didn't know it was one of the poorest places in all of China, but we were out on this like elevated lake, right? And and, and the accommodations weren't terrible. They weren't, you know, we were out in the middle of nowhere and that was sort of freaked me out, but um, we did yeah. have decent food and we had a really great training center out there, Hong Lake or something like that. It was, it wasn't bad. I mean, it was, it really wasn't, I mean, it wasn't the worst place I ever stayed either, mm-hmm. you know, obviously getting on to Wuhan, that initial trip to Wuhan was probably the worst thing. And that was all the China fears realized um, <laughs> all at one time. And it ended up being pretty cool, right? Cause we made a stink about it. And then they put us at a hotel, which ended up being just like however long we were there for that time. It ended up just being a really long, really long party um, with a lot of work. It was like being on a working sp- spring break, I guess. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> I remember seeing videos or photos of of the gyms and i can't remember if that was wuhan or guiyang but i know you guys went in and just kind of like whirlwinded around the gym and 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 tried to clean it up and do the best you could that that's almost like a busman's holiday for you like that was yeah like Oh, that was Wuhan. Wuhan, like, Wuhan yeah. There was
1: like standing water and it was, it was, a, it was just staph infection waiting to happen. It was really bad, but the, the one in Guiyang was actually really nice. That one was, we were just in, you know, actually, you know, in the pantheon of the places, obviously the, the one in Guiyang was on the water. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It was in a really kind of like a dodgy area, obviously, but. The, the center itself was a pure, it was a pure training camp, as much as you can say it's pure training camp. It was dormitories, training center, dining hall. So yeah. a lot of us had had experience with that, with, with with training camp type of deals or being like on a university. So it wasn't so foreign um, from that regard, other than the fact of where we were at. Wuhan yeah. was a different, Wuhan ended up was, was like a real life smack in the face (laughs) but that was i mean that that didn't happen until you know we got there towards like in end of december 2017 like almost you know january 1 2018 Mm -hmm. we didn't go to wuhan until maybe like end of march yeah that was three three months in before we we got that real indoctrination of oh shit this is how it could be
0: you know yeah and, and and i think i've been through through all iterations of those of those things where you know we worked in uh, down in Zhejiang at the Thousand Island Lakes and that that similar sort of thing a pure uh training camp you you have the dining hall you have the training center you have you know the 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 accommodation and and just incredible scenery the the most yeah. amazing scenery ever but if you want to get a car into into a city where still like it's a very very chinese city right you there's nothing that that is recognizable to you but that's that's an hour drive to get into the city and mm-hmm. we've had those you know i I've had just just unbelievably bad training centers and, and accommodation and i and I've seen the accommodation that you had and I had similar uh, probably yours. I think yours was worse for sure. But, uh, <laughs> but And then you end up in some really nice places as well. Right. It's just, yeah. sometimes it's luck of the draw and, and, but, but one thing I want to go back to is like, it, it's this, you said it earlier, like you don't know what you're going to get yourself into. Like, but you, you can't because it's, it's so alien. It's so weird. Like you can't explain to somebody what you think you're going to go and get into but, but whatever you think it is, it's not that when you get there.
1: No. How many times were we sitting in, in some place in Beijing having beers trying to figure out how we were going to explain this to people? You know what I mean? Like, and I never did a good job of it because I I, I didn't know how to say, like, uh, have you ever been in a, in a reactionary mode every single day for an entire calendar year? Like having mm. literally no idea what was going to happen from day to day, like, that, like that's kind of what it was like you had no idea what was going to happen you kind of knew you kind of knew like I'm, I, I'm i'm meant to be i'm meant to turn up at this place at this time but other than that mm-hmm. you had no idea because even if you turned up the athletes you know sometimes they didn't right and it was yeah. because somebody had said you're you're meant to be on a plane you know that that morning to go off to fuck knows where you know like,
0: <laughs> yeah. like nobody's told me like but everybody else is at the airport like nobody we're, told we're,
1: me that happened to me at least twice, where they, they came and said, "You're meant to be at this at the airport at this time. Pack your shit, yeah, and be, and be on a yeah. be on a transport." Five
0: minutes ago, you know,
1: it happened it twice.
0: Yeah, uh, it, oh, it's unreal, isn't it? But I think to to loop back round, you know, we started off. I can't remember now if it was if it was before we started recording or or on the record, but we talked about periodization and that this idea that you know we've kind of come full circle a bit on, ah, well, you know, we thought it was important and then we didn't. And now we did. and now we didn't. China just like exacerbates that, doesn't it? It's like, you can't periodize anything
2: because
0: you don't know when the next competition is going to be. Like, I remember getting, you know, a knock on my door at 1030 at the night, night one night. And they're like, we're going to a a training camp tomorrow and then to world championships, like in a week. It's like, if somebody had told me we had a competition, I maybe could have periodized a little bit to it. But oh
1: god, yes. It it made us better at because now it's all the rage, right? Fluid periodization and managing stress. But like until you've worked with a Chinese team, you don't really know what managing stress means. <laughs> Cause,
0: cause, or fluid periodization. Because
1: they're going really they're going they're gonna win, they're gonna win by volume and attrition, right? In their minds, yeah. they're gonna win by volume and attrition. Um, yeah, and so like if we just do more,
0: we'll be better. Yeah. Right? But hey, they yeah. uh, they just broke three world records at weight lifted in what on what was it Wednesday? Yeah. So what what can you say about you know? Yeah, they have some some obviously strategies that work, and then some that are, are pretty wild as well. So. Yeah, I think I, they've
1: come a long way with rowing too, which has been nice because you know we used to we used to have so so many beating our head against the wall with rowing but when they brought in some of the some of the steve nightingale and some of the other english lads they they really focused on technique and they've come josh is still there with them by the way yeah josh yeah, and yeah, yeah. yeah and i mean they're doing so much better and i think it was when they they just said fuck it you have to focus on where the oar enters the water or else and when mm-hmm. they finally did that yeah just all of our yeah. all of our please please listen to us. It finally came to
0: fruition. And I think now they're doing better. I think you're right that they have a team. We've had Ishan on the podcast before. Ishan's still there. Josh is still there. Uh, Nick Ferlin is still there. I think um, Brennan, the physio is still there. Like they've, they've done a, a great job. They've kept this really solid team together the training bases have come on the the one they built in Zhejiang that Simon and I helped to design it was was really good. And then the Beijing one they built out in in wherever it was the the north east of Beijing, like that's a that's an incredible training center as well. um and they're and they're putting some great results in as well now. but yeah. like you said, they they got in performance directors from from British rowing who, you know, I'm amazed they stayed as long as they have stayed, but they have, and they've done an incredible job. So, yeah. It's what was really the young. name,
1: Steve? What was the name of uh, that, uh, the the Olympic medalist and the- Steve? Steve Redgrave.
0: Steve so Redgrave, Steve Redgrave, Redgrave and- yeah, and Tom Kay as well.
1: Tom, yeah, Tom and yeah. Tom's I, Tom was with them when I was still with them, and and man, Tom has really done a n- really great job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, funny enough, Simon and I were just talking about him the other day, and we said we should get him on here as a as a guest because I think he'd be oh, a, a yeah. great to chat to. He'd
1: be phenomenal. Like he's done. He was. He was already starting to shift the culture, you know. As I was on my way um, out, and they were starting to catch on. And I mean, I can only imagine where they're at now. But getting them to pay attention to the nuance, and that was the issue, right? It was all. It was there was no nuance. And like, no, no, no. Nuance is everything like
0: it's everything in it so so in terms of that like what lessons do you think you've learned and we kind of joked a little bit about the periodization but what what lessons do you think you've learned from you know either the experience you had personally coaching there or or managing that team of, of guys that you had there and you know have you been able to put any of those lessons into effect with what you're doing now
1: Okay. So yeah. So lessons that I learned, um, I would say if I was still coaching quite a bit and I don't coach as much now, but if I was still coaching quite a bit, I mean, obviously I learned pretty much everything I know about load management, obviously wellness questionnaires and interpreting that data and that information and um, combining appropriate stressors at appropriate times. Uh, I learned all of that in China, essentially. I, I wouldn't say all of it, but most of it. I mean, enough so that I was able to take, and that's probably what I utilized the most is I was able to take a lot of that that we were doing and put that into presentations and being able to speak at various conferences on that. Um, but if I was coaching a lot, yeah, I would, I would utilize that. And honestly, like I think, I didn't mention this, but I think a lot of that is, is it almost like just having conversations. And there's obviously the data portion of it, but it's about coverage. So having better conversations with athletes and then being able to take those conversations, compare it with the data that you're getting and determine, you know, best course of action, I think is, you know, really what I would take away, you know, from a, from a purely coaching and be using that today. Um, but all in all, you know, with what I do on my everyday basis, it's just being humble and, and being more patient and obviously communicating <laughs> yeah. effectively, but just being more patient and being humble and, and being able to be tolerant, I guess is another word I should use is, because obviously we we had to use a lot of those skills because of the, the, the cultural differences, right? I mean, it's so, so culturally, like upside down not, not in a bad way we just couldn't no. be more
0: different right I, I, um, i've said it we've always had those conversations before where people it, in the heat of the moment you think that somebody's being particularly uh, like uh, obstinate or they're trying to they're trying to annoy you but the fact of the matter is it's is, like you said it's, it's a culture that is so different from our own that you can't Possibly understand their culture. They can't possibly understand yours, and inevitably you butt heads. And 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 actually, when you take a step back and think about it, no one's trying to annoy anybody else. It just like, it's like me looking up, and and someone's like the sky's green, and I'm like I can see the sky and it's blue, and they're like, but I can also see the sky and it's definitely green. Like you, you're never gonna win those conversations, and and but but it's how you like you said, how you can deal with them, how you can be patient with them how you can communicate to get to a better understanding i think that's the
2: biggest takeaway i've i've certainly had and i think most of the people we've spoken to have had is hmm. the communication style has changed like the fact that you you know and that understanding that relationships matter so much obviously like chinese culture is built on relationships but like we understand that so much more now that actually me building a good relationship with you ultimately gets a better result regardless of what my programming says, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: right? Like that, that piece for me has been huge understanding that understanding the patience and, and sort of tolerance and understanding, you know, a different person's perspective is also huge because again, like I can have planned whatever I want but if you're resistant to that for whatever reason i have to i have to adapt and and change it and and be kind of tolerant of that and that goes for athletes here as much as it does in you know it anywhere goes, else in the world
0: it goes for all walks doesn't it like yeah. it goes back to what rudy was saying about you know if you're if you're designing a facility with somebody you need to communicate with them and, and make sure that they'll have they'll have an idea in their head that is only exists in their head and you have to try and figure that out and and work out what's best. It goes back to internships and and how you communicate with people. Like it's through all walks of life. People could definitely spend some time getting, you know, some better communications. It's funny. Like
1: we knew this, uh, you you knew this inherently, right? Like it it, it doesn't matter. Like even coming up through this, the U S culture of strength conditioning, like you still had to be good at, at, communicating, making friends, networking, giving coaches, you know, what they want within what they need. Um, all of those things, like kind of deftly negotiating the situation and, um, being delicate when you need to be delicate, not so when you, when you didn't need to be, but it just like the experience in China just took it to another level. Meaning like, like you, you can get into a yelling screaming match in in the U S or other places and you may win, you may lose. And, but the other person knows exactly why you're doing it what, but they're completely lost on them. You know, like you just had to go to this next level in terms of your tolerance and your patience and your ability to find common ground where absolutely none existed. <laughs> it probably did, still didn't exist, but you had to pretend there was common ground um, <laughs> instead of just like forging it out of steel,
0: which yeah. we would just do here, you know, but- uh, Yeah, wild. Yeah. Listen, yeah. oh, go on, Simon, what are you gonna say?
2: No, I was just gonna say, like, oh, you know, overall, do you feel that that experience, you know, was a was a worthwhile experience? Has it added a lot of value to you and and what you do now?
1: Yeah, I mean, God, how, how could it not, right? Like, from a from a writing the chapters of your life story, right? You get to, you know, and a lot of, like I said before, like, I, I I don't know if I if I really took advantage of it and leveraged it in a way to, because I. Like, I feel like if if I knew somebody like me who had been and lived and worked in China, like, I might ask them questions all the time. Like, that doesn't always happen to me. So I don't know if it's like people just, again, circling back, I don't think people know what that means to fly and take all your personal belongings and take up residence in an Asian country, a communist country in China. You know what I mean? Like, what that actually means. I don't think, so I think people may not appreciate like what you guys did and what other coaches have done because they don't even have a frame of reference to start the conversation. Right. Like that might be part of it, but I mean, like from a writing, the chapters of your life standpoint, I mean, again, I don't even know if I give myself enough credit, like, and just be like, sit back and go, Holy fuck. You actually did that. What were you (laughs) thinking? But (laughs) shit, that was cool. You know? And I mean, I spent, I spent a a good deal of that time actually in Europe, you know, and getting, Yeah, yeah, of
2: course you did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I spent three months of that, of that 12 months in Europe. Um, And then, you know, a few weeks here and there in different places, a few weeks with you guys in in Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, yeah, from a traveling, seeing the world, meeting people standpoint, I mean, just I'll never get a chance to do anything like that again. You know? So,
0: yeah. Never say never. (laughs) I mean, True. Unless unless you're saying I'm never doing that again. <laughs> yes. I'm, so my wife might say I'm never doing that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen, we'll we'll let you go in a second, but before you do, um two questions for you. Normally I just have one. The first one is uh where can people reach out to you if they if they want to get a hold of you?
1: Um it, I use Instagram the most. Uh, it's Rudy Thomas89 on Instagram. Um, I have a Twitter, I don't use it much also at Rudy Thomas 89. And then obviously Facebook is just Rudy Thomas. Um, so they can get me there.
0: Awesome. And I, uh, obviously follow you on, on Instagram and see some of your stories of these, of these training centers and stuff you get to to be involved in. So what, um, my second question is what's the, either the best or the most proud like in, in, in sort of involvement you've had in a training center what, what where do you stand back after the end of the project and just think oh my god like it was awesome to be to to build that
1: um i would say so there's a loyola marymount university is in la um it's one of the first ones so i've only been doing this in this particular role since probably july or august of 2019 so not that long maybe 18 months or so not quite or maybe two years so it's it's a lot of these projects take six six to eight months to actually some some longer than that from relationship to completion Mm -hmm. so um loyal and marymount's one where we were able to do the floor all the equipment and then they for their part they did the walls and they they did a whole entire facelift so it's one that just from what it looked like when the first time i ever walked into it to what it looks like now you couldn't even recognize it and it's a cool room anyways. Um, a lot of the work that I do is, is with high schools and some of the high schools out here are doing incredible incredible things and they're private they've got a lot of resources and they have to keep up with the, with the other schools and they're competing for athletes and they' you know and those athlete resources and they compete nationally with their schedule so they need to have the facilities that reflect that which is which is nice for us but then I've got to, a chance to do some some high school projects a lot of which are coming to fruition this summer. Uh, one in particular, uh, St. John Bosco High School is is one that they were the 2019 national champions in, in football. And um, they're just up in the LA area and it's a private school, of course. And the, the design that we were able to do for them is one of the cooler ones that I've seen. And so I'm excited that one will happen in July of this year. We'll kind nice. of together,
0: yeah. I can just imagine... And then I have to just imagine, like a private high school American football gym is probably better than any professional gym in, in <laughs> this country.
1: And a lot of college gyms I've seen, this one yeah. in particular will be. Wow, uh, yeah, awesome. nice. Um, That's cool. It's impressive the uh, the amount of uh, monetary resources that they that they will. I, <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it.
2: Yeah, allocate. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah nice rudy thanks so much for for coming on it's been it's been awesome to be able to catch up with you and uh yeah and have this chat and and have that chat with someone from a a slightly different perspective within the performance industry as well yeah yeah yeah, so much
0: fun always good to talk to you again yeah great to see you guys too awesome man enjoy the uh the sunny san diego weather yeah i'm Yeah, I'm hoping it happens here today sometime.
1: (laughs) I think it's the marine layer is what we call it. There's a marine layer over top right now, so hopefully. All
0: right, awesome. All right, thanks again, Rudy. All right, appreciate it. Have a
2: good day. Take care. Bye.